Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show. Wake up! With your chance to sound off, give your opinion, and tell us your thoughts. It's on. It's now. It's here. It's the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890. 92.5. KDXU, Southern Utah's News Talk Leader. Welcome to the show. I'm Andy Griffin. Hey, it is Election Day, the primaries today. So uh, if you haven't mailed in your ballot, go to the uh, go to the ballots today and, and vote. Uh, and uh, had Chris Stewart on earlier. We didn't talk election, except he did say this. Go and vote. He says, even if you don't vote for me, just go out and let your voice be heard. That's what America is all about. So, uh, by the way, President, uh, former President Trump has endorsed uh, Chris Stewart, Burgess Owens, and Mike Lee for... Uh, if you want to keep that in mind as you put your votes together, I just knocked something over. But anyway, uh, welcome to the program. I have St. George's Finest on with me today. Uh, uh, Lieutenant Sam Despain is here, and I'll let you introduce your buddy here, Sam. Yeah, so uh, I got my partner with me. Lieutenant Aaron Burquist is with me today as well. Good morning. Right, Burquist. It seems like, now, I've done sports for here in town for 30 years, and Bergquist sounds like somebody that played sports at some time. Were you a sports guy around here? Or I, I was not. But cousin, brother? Although he could be. It yeah. does sound like a professional name. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I appreciate you guys coming on today. Uh, Tiffany and uh, Chief Whitehead are both out of town, so and I, she said, who should I get on? I said, well, here's the areas that I want to talk about, and she said, all right, I'll, I'll see what I can do, and you guys, I guess, drew the short straw. Yeah, well, wrong place, wrong time, I guess. I don't know, but no, uh, we're happy to be here. Yeah. Glad to be here. Thanks for coming in. Uh, Aaron, tell us a little bit about what you do. You're a watch commander and also in charge of, well, the firearms, right? To tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, well, it, so it, yeah. We'll go Sam first and then Aaron. Yeah, uh, Sorry. yeah uh, we're both uh, with the police department, lieutenants, watch commanders. We work in our patrol division. Uh, we cover the streets, and uh, we, we kind of cover both ends of the spectrum. Aaron, he works the day shift and, and is the watch commander during the day, and, and I'm oh. at night. I'm on a graveyard shift. So, really? So uh, we, we see it all, day and night, and... Uh, we help our officers uh, and uh, just respond to the the pro- patrol stuff. We're shouldn't, really really busy. Shouldn't you be asleep right now, Sam? You know I should. That's and I'm gonna have to talk to Tiffany about that. And check <laughs> Chief it's actually his day off. So, oh really? Uh, but nowhere nowhere else I'd rather be. Yeah. So, but you, you know, all of us officers have various assignments and responsibilities. In, in mm-hmm. addition to being a watch commander, uh, I'm currently uh, part of our firearms program. Uh, I, I head that up and. and and uh, lead our firearms unit, which is in charge of all of our training and anything firearms related. And Lieutenant Burquist has a, a, a really big background in firearms as well, especially when it comes to our SWAT and tactics. And maybe he can tell you a little bit more about his background. Yeah, I was on the SWAT team for a lot of years and wow. uh, was a sniper team leader and, really? and managed our sniper team here locally. And uh, have a lot of training experience in that area. You must have a lot of zen if you can be calm enough to uh, shoot a sniper rifle. Yeah. <laughs> It uh, it's a good outlet, and it's yeah. it's something that all all enthusiasts, firearms enthusiasts, they enjoy learning learning the particulars about shooting distance, and and all, at least I do. Yeah, we had a conversation before you got here, Sam and I, about uh, speed versus accuracy and the relationship it has, and we hadn't really talked about it on the air yet, but uh, that that is uh, especially with sidearms, that is that is a big one because. You, if you want speed, you might sacrifice accuracy. If you want accuracy, you're probably going to have to sacrifice speed a little bit. Uh, how does that How does that balance work as a firearms instructor? How do you teach that? Yeah, well, that that is the balance we're trying to achieve. We're trying to teach our officers to be as quick as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to the use of deadly force and our handguns, officers are always behind the eight ball. We're always reacting to whatever happens, and so it's critical that we have 
speed and be as fast as we can. But on the other hand, uh, we need to be accurate and we're responsible. Yeah. Um, and the liability and responsibility associated with the use of a firearm and our handguns and our line of work is it's huge. And we, we have to be very accurate. So we, we work really hard to, to train our officers to, to strike that balance, to be fast and accurate. It is, it is critical that, uh, that officers be able to make that split-second decision, and so that's why we train so rigorously, and mm. so that it's 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 really not a decision in that moment. It's something that they've rehearsed and gone over thousands of times so that they can have that advantage that Sam's talking about, and we can just react uh, seamlessly and without really even thinking about it. I know, I know when I did some of my uh, sidearm training, uh, the instructor tried to create a stressful atmosphere for you. He's yelling at you, and, you know, this is happening. you got to hurry. What are you doing? you got you know, and, and uh, do you guys do that too? Is oh, that yeah. part of it? Just, yeah, the, the stress. Yeah, the stress. There's there's certain physio- physiological reactions that happen to the human body mm-hmm. in, in yeah. that amount of stress, and and in in those situations, it's 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 hard to duplicate, and we do the best we can. But but absolutely, we we put our officers in situations and and get their heart rate up and get that adrenaline going, and and so that they know that they can react in those moments when they need to, um, and it it is a stressful moment. And, and that's that's part of the fun part I think of being an instructor is to help create those those environments that, that train our officers. <laughs> yeah, to you got to be you got to be innovative and I was going to say have get you, outside have you, the box. Have you come up with some some cool drills that oh, that oh yeah replicated? Yeah, yeah. There's there's we have some tricks and some things we can do. You get that heart rate going, and uh, and uh, a lot of times for a lot of shooters, just being on the range and with a gun in their hand creates a certain amount of stress as it is. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, you know as instructors, we we have ways of, of of doing that and duplicating that, and of course of course we start small you know uh, we don't want to overwhelm any shooter or do anything that our goal is to make them confident in their in their in their firearm whether it's their handgun or their rifle uh, we want to develop that confidence so that they know that they can do what needs to be done when when the time comes yeah i think that the uh, elaborating on the basics we really get that foundation of basics before we take it to the next level but mm-hmm. something as simple as calisthenics and running and just getting your heart rate up really kind of simulates that that stressful moment hmm. Very cool. Um, do you guys have to deal with the mental side of things as much? Uh, we've talked a lot on this show about, uh, you know, you, you. I'm going to push this button so we can get a phone call here in a minute. But do you, do you guys talk uh, about the effects of the idea of having a gun and what, you know, what, what could happen? Oh, yeah. uh, even best case scenario, not best case scenario, but the scenario is there's a bad guy with a gun who wants to hurt you. You end up having to take that person's life or take them down. Uh, that's hard on you guys. I mean, you know, you're the good guy with a gun. You did what you had to do, and yet somebody lost their life. That's a sobering thought, I suppose. It is, and, and we do discuss that, the realities of law enforcement, the realities of our firearms training, and ultimately we're training for life and death, and mm-hmm. uh, the, the responsibility associated with that is not taken lightly. And we, we try and work hard to mentally prepare our officers, and, and those officers who do get in those shootings, those officer-involved shootings, um, it, it – there's no doubt that it has an effect and a toll on them. And uh, we, we have a good peer support team, and, and we work through those issues. And, uh, but it, it is the, the mental aspect of, of, of the reality of, of what it is that we do on a day-to-day basis. It, it, does, it, 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 homes, it hits home, and, and we work on that as well. 
Yeah, and it it is it comes back to that being mentally prepared. I mean, as much as using the firearm mm-hmm. comes the mental aspect of it of knowing of what's possible and preparing your mind for that. And I mean, cops yeah. most cops play the what if game, and and any firearm user can can play that game and just kind of run scenarios through your house. What am I going to do if someone comes into my house? What am I going to do if if this happens or that happens? I'm in a grocery store, and, and so being ready for that moment mentally is is a huge portion of and really and really probably the best way to mentally prepare is training and training that's why we we train a lot and we prepare officers a lot uh when it comes to our our handguns and our firearms it's it's we don't it doesn't happen often uh it's it's low frequency but uh when it does happen they have to be prepared and and we're preparing constantly for that moment uh to make sure that that when that time comes and and really it's for us it's when uh and and we're ready for that at any time that that they can handle the situation and ultimately our goal is to save lives and and that's what we're going to go out there and do to take appropriate action to to save lives as much as our training is to utilize a firearm it's also just as much how not to use a firearm and i think Mm. I think our department does such a great job in law enforcement and our profession in general. We do a great job of, of de-escalating situations down to an area where, where we don't need a firearm. Yeah, that's the ultimate goal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately, a couple of things in the news recently. I'll ask you about them, uh, but I wanted to ask you first, uh, the, the rules of firearm safety. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, we anybody that's had any firearm training knows the, the basic rules. Uh, never, you know, point a gun at anything you don't intend to destroy. Yeah. Be careful what's trigger. in the background, et cetera, et cetera. Always assume the gun is loaded. Uh, how do, do the, are those altered slightly when you're a police officer? You know, what? no. I mean, there, there's there's four firearm basic firearm safety rules, and and when we start firearms training day one, the newest shooter. That's what we cover, mm-hmm. and every time we train with with the most seasoned officer, with the with the rookie officer, that's how we start every single time. Um, the rules don't change just because we're police officers, and uh, that is first and foremost in, in our minds as we train and we do everything is is those four firearm safety rules. And and just because maybe officers have a little bit more training than the than the casual shooter or whatever, it doesn't change at all for us. And and we, if anything, because we we do train so frequently and we spend so much time with our guns, we probably emphasize them more and, and, and focus on those. And that's, that's as, and as instructors, that's, that's one of our primary jobs is safety. When we run a range or we're shooting or teaching that, that is always in the forefront of our mind is, is safe, safety, safety, safety. It seems to me one of the hardest ones for you guys would be to, you know, what might be behind or in the area of your target as a former SWAT guy, officer or lieutenant Bergquist, uh that had to be a really big part of what you guys trained for because obviously hey i've got the shot i've got the shot oh but there's a you know there's a school behind behind the target or there's a there's a, a road with cars going back and forth or, yeah, or whatever and that, and that goes back to those basic firearm safety rules of where my finger is right if i'm if my finger's on the trigger and i get startled or or i'm not mm-hmm. expecting something then that's Clinch that's when and, people yeah. have that reaction to to uh, inner limb interaction and, and want to do what this finger's doing. And so keeping that finger off of the trigger until that exact moment where you see a deadly force situation and you have to save your life or someone else's life, that finger just stays off the trigger. And we train that. We train that often. It's, it's knowing your target, what's in between, what's beyond, and 
making those split second decisions is is this a shot i can take or can't and mm. and you're right the environments that we're in whether it's an active shooter or on the street or wherever it is uh and that's one of the huge challenges of being a police officer is making those split second decisions and knowing that what you're doing in that moment is the right thing to do and i think all you can do is train 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 and prepare yeah. yourself for it the thing about it too is you can train 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 and that's incredible but it seems like every situation is just slightly different. There's just a li- some you, kind of factor you do. You, you can never you yeah. can never know exactly what you're going to face, and we can and and you're right. There's there's no incident or situation or anything that we respond to that's the same. Everyone is unique. Everyone is different. Therein lies another challenge that that officers face on a daily basis, and we can just hope that we we do the best we can in those circumstances and make the best choices in, that we can. I asked you about it, uh, Sam, uh, uh, Lieutenant Despain. I want to call you officer. Hey, you call me Sam. I okay. like that. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, about that situation that ended up in Beaver Dam uh, where a SWAT sniper actually had to take a guy out who was holding a baby in one hand and a gun in the other. And that had to be, uh, and I know the training is there, and whoever took the shot, and we, I don't think it was ever revealed who actually took the shot, but the the the, the fact that, the stress involved in that situation knowing that child's life was absolutely on the line in that moment had to be huge right that was massive and those and that sniper particularly and our whole sniper team they train so so much for that one moment that is so rare i mean there's such a rare situation to for someone to take it to that point where where they would force us to save that child's life and that those snipers they train physically and mentally and and with their ballistics and their shooting and their heart rates i mean there's so much that goes into that shot and to be able to take that shot have the confidence to take that shot next to a child's head is hmm. that's the ultimate sniper yeah, that, shot. that's an example of of training that paid off in the best case scenario and under a horrible circumstance that that officer saved lives that day and it was absolutely amazing and that that officer reacted and did exactly what he was trained to do were you there by the way aaron were you I wasn't on that I'm day. Okay. Um, yeah. But all the other officers that helped get that officer into a position where where that shot could be taken is, I mean, it was just such great work that day. And was I saw some video? Was he set up on top of a, a cruiser? Is that one, where he took the shot from? The, oh, not not the, the, the one that, that took the shot. shot wasn't okay. okay. Just uh, and, and to clear things up, because I were there two shots taken by a sniper or just one? There was a couple shots. Couple. Okay. There was it was difficult to get into a position where they could get the advantage mm-hmm. without risking you know we talk about the know your backstop and what's beyond or what's in right. front and and so getting into that position was was very difficult hmm. like like we said a minute ago every situation is just slightly different and and you have to account for the variables i guess yeah. would be would be the word but uh, uh another thing that uh, that uh, first of all i agree with you uh, sam that that guy's a hero the guy that took yeah. a shot saved lives certainly saved that child's life and uh, I'm glad I wasn't there. Uh, you guys weren't there either, but I, I'm glad I wasn't there to witness it because I'm sure it was a scary, uh, scary scene. And, yeah, but, you know, police officers frequently find themselves in situations that are, I guess you could say scary, uh, high stress, difficult. But I got to tell you, uh, the men and women of St. George Police Department, uh, I've got so much confidence in them. They're, they're incredible. They, 
it, it, we talk about this one incident, you know, that happened on the Arizona Strip. But I got to tell you, that daily, uh, our officers just do amazing things. And uh, we're, we're fortunate to have the, the caliber of men and women that we have here. Um, I, maybe I'm a little biased because I do work with them and, and do that. But but I, I see heroic work every single day from, from our police officers. I totally officers. agree. And, and for... For every shot that's taken in the United States by a police officer, there there's probably a thousand or two thousand others that that got talked down or de-escalated and and moved into a position where that wasn't necessary, and that's ultimately what we're trying to do is just save lives. So uh, you you talked about the, this kind of stuff happening. Is it happening more now? Is, yeah. It, it, is it getting worse because the population is getting bigger? You know, it, it's hard to say what the cause is, but but I've been I've been a police officer for twenty years now, and it's it's easy to see today the the amount of violent crime that we deal with is mm. far far more than what we used to deal with. Uh, St. George is changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still a wonderful, great community uh, community I love to be a part of, but it, it's absolutely easy to say that we're seeing increases in violent crime and and the demands on the police department are only increasing and which is unfortunate you know and, and it, you know I don't know that I can pinpoint the exact cause or reason for that but uh, the dynamics of police work uh, throughout the country and even here in southern Utah are, are changing it, it it is increasingly more dangerous and more difficult does that make you not want to be a police officer anymore? Does it make you want to more be a police officer? Well, I, I mean, I'm still. Aaron and I are both still here. We love our still, jobs. Still loving it. Yeah, we we, we do it. Um, if anything, as as an instructor and as a leader over the firearms unit in other areas, it, it it creates more passion to want to train our officers the best we can to prepare them for those moments. And and we recognize how critical that is. Um, it, like I say, St. George is wonderful. It's great. And, and I think a, a big part of why Southern Utah is so amazing is, is, is the men and women uh, in law enforcement, uh, not just in St. George PD, throughout all the communities and all the agencies down here. We take it very serious. We, we work hard. And, and knowing the demands that, are gonna, that we're going to face, we, we're, just, we're, we're preparing for that. So. I had a text question. I, you guys may not know the answer to this, but they, they ask about a medical marijuana card. Uh, the 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 you know the the legality of of having a, a card obviously is legal mm-hmm. if you have the card does that affect uh, a firearm Do, can you own a firearm if you uh, have a medical marijuana card uh, you know the medical mar- marijuana card is kind of a, a new thing uh, here yeah. but but typically uh, if if you have a valid medical marijuana card you're just fine and yeah. if somebody is legally carrying a firearm and they're not impaired in any way then it'll be just fine. Yeah, and that's the big word is impaired, right? Because you can have a prescription for any real narcotic that, that is for pain relief that's or true. for whatever your doctor feels that you Even need. Even if you just go to the dentist, they're going to give you something for and the so pain. So if, yeah. if you're impaired on that prescription and with a firearm, that's when it becomes a problem or where mm. you're operating a motor vehicle. All right. Uh, let's uh, take a phone call. Seth is standing by and being very patient. Seth, what's going on? I'd like to invent a new word today, if that's Okay. Uh, well, it depends on what it is. Well, you know me. It's going to be legit, right? <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, you've heard of a monsoon? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what if we? it doesn't rain during your monsoon? Would that be a non-soon? Non-soon. I like that. I'm not sure what it has to do with police work today, but I like it. Well, we're gonna. I'm going to get to that. Okay. We're having all kinds of monsoons with no water. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, Gil Almquist said he was at Pine Valley and that it would rain every day. Yeah. And it would rain here every day in the past. So uh, from now on, 
on the weather, I'd like you to use, we're going to have a non-soon a today. Non-soon. Did you not get any rain the other day? I heard it rained up your way. Did it not rain? Well, it gave me two, ten, two hundreds of an inch. Well, not measurable I, you then. You know, a yeah. car drove by during the rainstorm and dust came up. <laughs> not good. So, non-soon. Anyway, uh, I'd like to ask about edged weapons. Uh, uh, two things. Is there any restriction on the kind of edged weapon, um, the length, the way it's deployed? Is there any rules pertaining to edged weapons? And I'd also like uh, your officers, lieutenants there, to uh, talk about non-lethal pepper spray, uh, other things that can be done uh, where the first go-to in any situation is non-lethal okay great questions great questions thank you seth go ahead guys yeah so uh in regards to edged weapons uh knives and, and such uh there there are some restrictions spe- specifically retaining to uh, uh felons so if there's a convicted felon uh they are restricted from carrying what are called dangerous weapons and uh that's typically with the, when it comes to a knife is is a knife with a fixed blade not necessarily mm-hmm. like a pocket knife or a folding knife like that but uh, a knife with a fixed blade um, something that, that a lot of times it just has to be determined if it can be considered a deadly weapon. Hmm. Um, so, so really in regards to carrying a knife for, for anybody, no, there's no restrictions. Uh, j- just, just like a firearm here in Utah, you can open carry or even conceal carry without a permit. Uh, if somebody wants to carry a machete or a sword on their side, they absolutely could. Now, really, uh, I, I, hmm. but you've got to ask yourself, is that maybe the smartest thing to do? What kind of <laughs> attention not. do I want to draw yeah. to myself? But uh, but really, those restrictions apply when it comes to somebody who's a convicted felon and, and what they can and can't carry there. So if I'm a paroled, uh, convicted felon on parole, I have a butcher block at home and I have a, a large knife in there. Right, right. And, and that's a little bit different. You got to kind of look at the intent. Most people in their kitchens have some fairly large knives, right? Okay. And, and those are kitchen knives, right? But if if somebody were to be carrying that knife for for a different purpose or concealing it uh, or or it's used in the commission of a crime, that obviously would be a little bit different. So okay, yeah. And what, and what was the other question? Well, it, it had to do with with uh, less lethal less force lethal. options. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, and, that kind of reminded me of what I was going to ask you guys about a little while ago. In the news, there was a officer who pulled. What she thought was her taser, it was actually her firearm, right. and she ended up killing somebody. Uh, I got to ask you first of all: Should that ever happen? I mean, it seems like don't you even always there are on opposite sides of your body and everything anyway. Yeah, yeah we and so we have we have many less lethal force options uh, just right now. I, Aaron, what are you what are you carrying on you right now? We, we've got we've got uh, tasers, right? I've got an asp. I got taser. I got OC spray. I've Wait, got, what's an asp? It's like, like a, a, it's like a like stick, a, like a baton. Oh, baton, yeah, okay. Baton. Yeah, all right. Um, you know, and, and then we also have different uh, use of force options. We carry a 40-millimeter direct impact round. It's kind of like a beanbag round, if you okay. will, that just uh, – uh, we also have pepper balls that, that shoot. It's kind of like a paintball, but shoots a projectile full of uh, powdered pepper spray. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Um, and, and so – there, there are options that we have. And, and I know the caller said when we face an encounter, our first thought is what, what's the option, right? Yeah, yeah what, sure. what do we use? And so, again, because every circumstance is different, uh, it's hard to say what we will do. It just depends on what we encounter. Um, and if, if we face a deadly force encounter... Um, we don't think about other options, uh, use of force <laughs> options. Uh, a deadly force is faced with deadly force. And, but, but, but there are other people who 
or other instances where it doesn't rise to the use of deadly force. However, something needs to be used, and that's where we look at those other options. And we, I think we go back to that, to where we started with speed versus accuracy, and most mm-hmm. most police officers are trying to balance that. And, and a huge advantage for us on our side with that aspect and use of force is distance and, and time. And so if we can, if we can control the distance that we have, then we have a little bit more time to deal with what we're going to do or to diagnose what is being done so that we can then either try to de-escalate it. And you go to a lot of incidences, and you mentioned this one with the taser and the and where she pulled, mm-hmm. thinking it was a taser, but it was her firearm. Right. And we train we train so much with these weapons, and it's it's something that that has to be a daily thing. It's not just you you graduated the police academy and now you're you're good. At, I mean, a 20 year vet like Sam here, and I've been in 17 years. That's a daily thing. Every day I go to work, I practice some dry fires and hmm. and, and wow. holstering and and drawing out my taser and my firearm, and I know exactly where everything, and we keep everything very consistent so that we don't in, in, encounter those kinds of unfortunate situations. Yeah. And you could diagnose that incident, and you could find lots of different things that could have been done better, but it all comes back to time and what are we dealing with? What's the ultimate? If this was the worst-case scenario right now, what are my priorities of life? What are, what, what are we, You know what I mean? And that situation was a, was a, a misdemeanor warrant, not not anything that we needed to to escalate right and so it's just kind of police officers getting the needed training and, and recognizing that stuff as early as possible and we we're, our goal is to have a successful outcome with the least amount of injury to officer or or, sure. or citizen or anything uh you know and and truly the the, the suspect or the individual's behavior dictates what we do you know and our goal is to 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 de-escalate and to use as least amount of force as we possibly can, but still have a successful outcome to, to the incident. What was your gut reaction when you heard that, uh, first heard that story? Oh, my, my gut reaction to all of those stories is always to, to let it, to let the information <laughs> come out. Because I'm always, always going to yeah. side with the police officer in that split-second decision that they made with all of the information that they had. And so as, as all of the information starts coming out, that's where we start trying to find training value in, in what was done right or what was done wrong so that we can avoid it or, or do likewise. Yeah, and, and then a lot of that affects our training. We, we, we hopefully learn from our mistakes if some are made, and we're constantly just trying to make ourselves better and do things the right way. All right. We're uh, talking with a couple of lieutenants, Bergquist and Despain. And guys are going to take a commercial break. When we come back, we'll talk some more. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about Uvalde, Texas or not, but uh, I, I might I might bring it up. We'll be right back after we check weather. Compelling guests, hot topics, the latest news, always on the Andy Griffin Show. Is there a juicy part in it for me? Right here on News Radio 890. 92.5 KDXU, Southern Utah's news talk leader. I'm Andy Griffin. Thanks again to Lieutenant Sam Despain and Lieutenant Aaron Bergquist for coming on today, spending a few minutes with us. Uh, Tiffany and uh, Kyle, uh, Chief Whitehead and uh, Officer Mitchell, are both uh, occupied, I guess, on vacations or something. I don't know. They have their nerve going on vacation in the summertime, right? Summertime. (laughs) I'm actually taking one next week. So, I, yeah, uh, we were talking a little bit about you guys have this cool tool, I guess, or cool, cool new training. Uh, and uh, Lieutenant Despain, you were telling me a little bit about it. It sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, so I'm actually, you know, Lieutenant Berkowitz is probably the better one to talk about this. He, he's he been the driving force behind getting us a, a brand new 
training simulator uh, that really has taken uh, our department to, to the next level. So really? Yeah, something we just got within the last couple of weeks, and we're still just trying to play with it and learn it. But basically mm-hmm. what it is, it's a 300-degree firearm simulator, and it it is you know, a, a very huge resource for five counties uh, that went in and, and purchased this. And so about a 1,000 officers are going to be coming into St. George to utilize this thing as much wow. as possible. And ultimately what it is is it's – when we talk about training, it's very difficult to recreate some of these situations and yeah. to and to set those up. And we and for a long time, law enforcement has has done those things. And we use role players and we use locations and and it and it's very labor intensive and manpower intensive. This this kind of minimizes that. And so this company that that we went with, um, they program and they shoot. Uh, videos that are multi-branching and so as a firearms instructor i can sit in front of the simulator and i can Mm. send an officer into the middle of it and i can unfold an active shooter scenario and and he can he can go through and utilize his own weapons that we outfit Mm. with with different barrels and and co2 tanks that make the the firearms recoil to make it as real as possible and he interacts like he would on that incident and then i as the instructor have the ability to to kind of change that depending on if he's using proper tactics or if he's or if he's not paying attention to something that's behind him in it and it's not it's mm. not as simple as like a video game it's a little more complicated than that um, but super cool resource and what it really helps do is, is simulate those feelings those emotions the adrenaline the that an officer will yeah the stress the that an stress. officer will feel we, had, yeah. we actually even have like this this little shock thing that we put on their belt and they know that we can deliver them a, a shock if they were to not pay attention to something coming up behind them Ooh. we could we could shock them a little bit and wake them up that could if that fell into the wrong hands that could be a bad <laughs> yeah it could be <laughs> yeah. It, it's a, it's a great tool and like i said we're just we're just starting to utilize it and learn it and learn its capabilities but it really is going to help prepare officers in, in all aspects of use of force and de-escalation and, it, and in today's law enforcement you know it budgets are what they are it, this this gives us another avenue to to not have to spend a ton of money on firearms and bullets and be able to yeah. to train at a at a level similar on on a significantly reduced budget let's take a quick phone call and then we'll talk some more about that and some uh, real life situations yeah hey thanks for calling who's this Hi, uh, this is Jim. Thanks, lieutenants, for all that you do in town. I love having uh, Andy invite you guys over as much as possible to talk about what's going on in this sleepy little town, which isn't so sleepy anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you would, pass on to um, everyone out there on patrol, especially the bike patrol, that I feel for them <laughs> in this weather with what they've got on and what they're having to wear. For protection because i'm just wearing an undershirt and a t-shirt on top and i'm already sweating yeah, yeah. bike bike patrols are different kind of special <laughs> <laughs> hey um question for you i'm a i'm a 10-year non-combat veteran served during the 80s in the cold war never had to draw my gun um, on someone never thank goodness had to shoot anyone comparing that to today's combat veterans who have served uh multiple tours when has there ever been a study as to when you guys are doing your hiring process? I'm, I'm sure that both groups come with um, a different set of training um, circumstances that you have to overcome and be comfortable with. The former being someone who's never drawn on someone, and the the latter being someone who's drawn on multiple and possibly taken several lives. Um, any thoughts on that that you can share? 
You know, I think we, we work, St. George Police Department has many combat vets and many military. Um, law enforcement generally kind of gravitates to those guys that that have, have been there and done that and, and know how to handle a high-stress situation. Um, but I think but it ultimately does, comes does, back does, to... to does, does PTSD ever come into that with the combat vet? You know, our hiring process kind of... It, it qualifies the person and sends them up for a mental health evaluation. And so if PTSD is there, it's, it's at a level that's, that's healthy and they're dealing with it in the right way. I'm not a mental health professional, but I know that we, we go through in law enforcement quite a, an extensive hiring process and, and annually get mental health checks and, and, and health checks. And our training is very specific to law enforcement. Our, our rules of engagement are obviously different uh, than, than military um, and, and we spend hours and hours and hours of, of working uh, through those situations, the scenarios on, on what, what law enforcement can and can't do, which is different. And, and those, those military veterans, they're, they're amazing. You know? And if anything, what we see is if, if we do have uh, officers who, in the military who have seen action in the military, they, they know how to handle that stress and deal with that. And, and Generally much more confident and, and know, know their limitations. You guys had talked about earlier about distance gives you time, and, and, you know, the difference from a military standpoint is sometimes you've got way more than that uh, 21-foot circle around you, and and, uh, I don't know, uh, Seth had mentioned, you know, always using less lethal um, as a first-case scenario. I think if anyone were within my 21-foot circle and I, I, I felt imminent danger, yeah, you're right. Um, I wouldn't think. Uh, 20, and 21 f- feet is kind of that distance that they've determined that if somebody had an edged weapon, if they're any closer than 21 feet, they would have the advantage um, on you. And, 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 and you're right. We don't always think less lethal first because we don't know what we're facing. And, and if, you, if you think less lethal first when it should be your firearm, then, then that's a problem. So we react appropriately to whatever's, whatever we, 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 we encounter. And so those are those are just those decisions that police officers have to make. And uh, again, it goes back to our training to to hopefully react appropriately. Most most cops are thinking: Is this a property crime or is this a person crime? And that's what I'm going to determine right off the bat. And then I'm going to determine hmm. what are the priorities of life here. Is is my life is is an innocent person's life in danger? Is my life in danger? Is the suspect's life in danger? And and how can I how can I address those priorities of life with whatever lethal and, or, and, or non-lethal force. And you mentioned fire. distance. You know, you're right. Military fights from, from far away at distances. Police officers, we, we work close quarters. We're, we're always approaching people, whether it's approaching a car on a traffic stop or approaching somebody to interview and talk with them. Um, the nature of our work is close quarters. We're, we're, we're constantly walking into situations because that's what we do just on a daily basis. We have to approach people. We have to, to, to speak and talk with people, approach cars interviews uh so we we work and operate in, in in extremely close quarters and that's that's normal for us and reacting to what what they decide they're going to do we'll take a commercial break more with the lieutenants here we're learning a lot today on the andy griffin show we'll be right back this is the andy griffin show on news radio 890 92.5 kdxu stay tuned for clay and buck coming up next Welcome back, Andy Griffin with you live. I have a couple of really cool dudes here. Were you guys cool when you were younger? Were you uh, all cops were, were cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who knows? We thought we were cool. Definitely cooler than firefighters. <laughs> uh, Lieutenant Sam Despain, Lieutenant 
Uh, Aaron Bergquist. That was Aaron that said that, by the way. Uh, yeah, it's Bergquist. Yeah. Bergquist. Some of my best friends are firefighters. Yeah? Yeah. They're... <laughs> That's true. We had dinner with one last night. Yeah. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. <laughs> they don't have anybody shooting at him, though, or anything like that. So yeah. I'm just saying, these, these are some pretty cool guys. Uh, we're, we're talking about this, uh, high-stress situations. i got to ask you, even though I know you know we've got to be careful how we talk about this, but the Uvalde, Texas uh, situation, it seems like, and we don't have all the information yet, but it right. seems like there were some big mistakes made by police officers in that situation yeah, it's hard to to know exactly without all the information coming out uh, you know on the onset uh, it it leaves you asking some questions and wondering uh we've we've kind of looked at that and, and asked ourselves some of those same questions and, and, yeah. and we're preparing our officers you know what what are we going to do when that happens here how are we going to react and and uh you, you know that it goes back to our training and again not knowing all the circumstances down there and what they thought and saw and were feeling at the time um, we're, we're going to train that if there's an active shooter, our number one priority is to save those lives. And wherever that shooting is, we're going to respond and we're going to stop it. That's, that's what we've determined. And, you know, if that happened down there or what they chose to do, it's hard to say right now. Hopefully that yeah. will, will come out and we'll know a little bit more. But, but uh, I know at least my reaction is, is that if, if there's a gunman and, and there's people losing lives, then, then we're going we're gonna to stop, do everything we can to stop it. Yeah, and all, all of our officers that I know, they train to that level, and we and and we're prepared for yeah. that for that moment, so that we don't need to think. Um, it's really as simple as just getting as much equipment as you can and running in there and doing what needs to be done. It's a tough question, but I got to ask you guys: There were parents there that seemingly recognized what was going on and wanted to do to go in, yeah. armed or otherwise, wanted to go in and stop this guy. Right. But the police, the authorities, stopped them instead from going in. What, was that right? Did they do that correctly? You know, I, I, I think part of the job is to to prevent loss of life, you know, and, and I'm sure that those officers knew that those parents weren't equipped with, with the proper equipment to go in, and, and right. quite honestly, they weren't. You know, I understand as a parent, I would do, I would run through fire and, and run through bullets to, to save my child. Yeah. So I see where anybody, they're Anybody from. that's a parent would feel that way. 100%, yeah. yeah. But again, sometimes police officers have to prevent people from running into a situation where they're not prepared and equipped. And, and, and that's our job. You know, we have the training. We have the equipment. Um, in that circumstance, uh, I, I could see those parents' frustration, you know. And, uh, and hopefully, hopefully uh, we can learn from that. Uh, and uh, when the circumstances arises, let, let, let us who, who are trained and equipped handle that. And quite, quite honestly, the moment to save your child from that that or to prepare your child for that moment is not is not right then. I mean, you running in doesn't change much at that moment, mm-hmm. but those are conversations that we need to be having nowadays with our kids is when this happens or be aware of this incident and let's talk about it and let's like law enforcement does, train, let's prepare our minds mentally if this so that we don't we don't end up freezing or those basic human needs to freeze to fight or to or to to flee yeah. and then we can we can prepare our children for these things that never needed to be talked about before and now are a reality for our kids yeah sad we have to talk about it isn't it isn't it uh i i have a son who works in a school he's a school psychologist and uh, he had an idea i thought was pretty interesting there's a debate on whether parent uh, whether teachers should be armed and some people say you should require teachers to, to go through firearm training some people say there's no way they should never have a gun in a school uh, my son was like, 
well, let's do this. Let's provide incentive. If they want to, give them an extra 1000 bucks a year or 2000 bucks a year to go get the proper training and to understand that the responsibility of carrying a firearm. I thought that was fascinating. Do you guys have any thoughts on it, teachers? That's, that's actually an area that's yeah. close to my heart because my wife is a teacher. She's mm-hmm. a fourth grade teacher. Um, and this is the conversation that we have often is, is what – because you don't – the odds are that it's never going to happen to right. to the teacher, right? And so right. now you're bringing a firearm into that classroom, and the odds are that the teacher is probably not going to be as trained as, as you would want. And so there's that balance. And I train with my wife, and I take her shooting, and I teach her those things, and she still doesn't feel the need to have a firearm in the room. There are hmm. a lot of other options in that scenario. Um, aside from the gunman walking into your classroom – and starting to shoot your children, then, I mean, getting out of the building and, and getting across the field is the better option. More important, yeah. yeah. And we and we do have uh, school resource officers who are in our schools as hopefully a something, you know, uh, and uh, kind of a first line of defense there that, that are responsible for those schools. And so that's that that is a good thing and a good resource to have there. So no to teachers having guns? I, we can definitely increase yeah. <laughs> security in our schools for sure. I, I yeah. think it would depend on the teacher, obviously, right? And I know mm-hmm. teachers that probably shouldn't carry a gun. And I know other teachers that would probably be just fine carrying that gun. You know, um, it's a, it's an interesting conversation t- uh, to have. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's the solution, but uh, it, there, I think there could be some possibilities there of, of having armed teachers if, if they so chose. We had uh, uh, an official from the school district on a couple of weeks ago, and he said two things. Number one, he said, if you're at a scene like in Uvalde, Texas, absolutely, as parents, follow the instructions of the police officers to a T. Uh, don't try to be a vigilante or go do whatever on your own. Uh, he says he trusts you guys, so there, there's that. Well, he, he trusts you guys. I and, think that's good advice. I appreciate that, and uh, I think he's right. You know, ultimately... It's always best to follow the instructions of a police officer just because yeah. they might have a little bit more knowledge and understanding of the situation of what's going on or, or, or what they're trying to accomplish. So I think, I think that's good advice. The other, the other thing he said was uh, right now in Washington County School District, there's four to five armed teachers in every single school. I wouldn't so, doubt it. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. I'm surprised there's not more, actually. You know, <laughs> Well, that was the, the average. I think some are more. And, yeah. Yeah, Increasing so. resources and training for our teachers, I think, is a great idea. Yeah. But our teachers are, man, they have a lot to do. Yeah. And it's not just teachers. I, I highly encourage oh, yeah. all citizens to carry if they can. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, uh, I think, you know, I'm, you were talking about your wife a little bit, Aaron. I went through training with my wife at the same time. We went through the same classes. I feel comfortable carrying a firearm. She doesn't. She she still doesn't like to do that. And but of course, she works in a city office, and the police are pretty darn close anyway. But, <laughs> Good uh, guys, we've used up our time. Uh, you've been uh, fantastic today. Really, what you've said and what you've represented, and I think St. George can be very proud that you guys are out there helping keep us safe. It's been hey. a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming on today. Really appreciate it. That'll do it for today. Tomorrow, another show, another guest. Thursday, we've got mayors. Oh, by the way, Dr. Blodgett is going to come in tomorrow. We'll talk to you then.